Welcome to Techno and Travel, the podcast of Tunes and Wings. My name is Sabine Spätling and today I take you on a journey with Bob Moses about the duality of desire. The Canadian duo Bob Moses has been on my list for such a long time and I'm so happy sharing this interview with you today. We are talking about their third studio album Desire which got released on August 28. We are also talking about their hometown Vancouver and in this strange times about the topic desire and what they're missing most and so much more. Enjoy! Tom and Jimmy, welcome to our interview. Um, just to give the listeners a short introduction, take us to your here and now. Where are you right now and how has your day been so far? Um, I'm in my living room in Los Angeles and it's 10 a.m. And my day's been good. I'm just drinking coffee and uh, I've I played with my daughter this morning. She's napping right now. And my house is full of boxes because I'm about to move. Oh, wow. And um, so, yeah, it's just kind of a bit of chaos, but I like chaos, so I feel right at home. Creative chaos at home. <laughs> exactly. And at the other end of Bob Moses. Yeah, I'm same thing. In LA, 10 a.m., having a nice cup of coffee, and I'm uh, sitting in the studio doing this interview. And uh, today we're going to be rehearsing some stuff so just getting set up for that yeah it's exciting times right now not only um, due to the fact what happens in the world but also in your bob moses world um, first of all congratulations on the new album and the single desire it's um yeah a concept record dedicated to the clubs and so is the sound driving beats that immediately remind us of club nights. So um, maybe you can tell us about the creation process of the album. When did it all start and how was it in between? That's a great question. Um, we, you know, on the last record, we were touring quite extensively for Battle Lines, playing as a band, four piece with, uh, you know, Tom doing vocals and guitar, me playing keyboards, and we have a, a drummer and a bass player. And, um, a lot of the times after these shows at festivals or in certain cities, we would go and do like uh, DJ after parties at clubs. And, uh, you know, we were writing music between any gaps we had between shows and then playing these after parties. So we started sort of writing music to play in these club sets. Um, and then, of course, over the course of a year, you start to assemble a bunch of things that you really feel like are working or you're really excited about. Um, and then we... Uh, We've been wanting to work with Zoo for a while, and we both finally had a break in our schedule where we could make that happen. And so we went into a uh, studio in LA for an afternoon and ended up writing Zyre, uh, almost how you hear it on record, just in a matter of a few, few hours. And we knew that sort of once, once we had that um, idea, that, uh, that that was something to anchor the rest of the record around. Mm -hmm. um, so everything all of a sudden started taking all these pieces that we'd been playing for a while, started fleshing them out. And, and then, you know, uh, a few months later, we started to have something that looked like a real record. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, the whole, the whole concept of the, of the um, album is also that it's a nonstop mixed tracks album. Um, how came this idea into your mind? 
Um, that's just sort of, we've always wanted to do that in some form. We've, we've always approached when we first started, Bob, we were very much making, we were in the warehouse, this sort of illegal rave warehouse scene in New York that was sort of resurfacing and in a new form in, um, the early, like late, the early 2010s or late 2000, I don't know what do you, what do you even call that? Early, late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, and we, we were making, we, we loved the sound that was happening there and we knew that we wanted to try and write great songs we could within that sound because we didn't really think that was really happening and that much and that seemed interesting and exciting to us. So we were always very conscious of making records at first that could get played at these parties that we could play in DJ sets or that our friends could play. And so the, the whole, and also because when fast forward to when we were making this stuff, we were, we were very um, conscious of how all the songs started in the sense that they were going to be played. They were sort of meant to be played in DJ sets that we were playing. And so we had the idea to just sort of keep it, it all mixed together as one um, continuous listening experiences, uh, continuous listening experience, um, because you know we have a lot of fun making mixes, and um, we thought all of these songs are sort of four on the floor, and we're sort of meaning them to be played mixed. So why don't we just sort of put them together in that format and see if we can make a mix that makes that is more than the sum of its parts, so to speak. And we feel like we accomplished it, and we feel like listening to the whole. You can, you know, all the songs are great to listen to one by one, but if you listen to them all the way through, it's sort of the whole is more than the sum of its parts. So we felt like it was added value for the listener that we wanted to try and create, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really a masterpiece. I mean, I love like this, this idea of combining the tracks and the one ends and the other one begins with the same um, melody. So I really, really love this idea. Um, I would love to dive a bit deeper into the collaboration with Sue. Um, you already talked a bit about it. So how was the collaboration like putting together the song with him? we were really nervous at first because, you know, whenever you invite someone new into the fold that you never worked with before, you, you have no idea how things are going to work out. And so I think it went really well in the sense that it felt natural. You know, we, uh, we both showed up at the studio in LA and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tom and I, I think we, we rented our friend's studio. So we were familiar with the room and basically, you know, we, we, kind of talked for a little bit and then got to writing music and it just felt supernatural, you know? Um, we, uh, like we were just, we would do, we would do what Tom and I normally did. And Zoo just basically felt like he understood the language that we were speaking. So we would try and write riffs and he would jump on the keyboard and play something. And then Tom would sing, sing something. And then Zoo would sing something. And then we would come up with these ideas, just kind of like, it was like playing a sports game. We were all on the same team, you know? And so it felt, It was really creatively inspiring in the sense that it, it, you know, everyone works differently. So we learned some things from Zoo for sure about making records, which was great. Um, but also we're really happy that we also came out with a great song that we're all really proud of. So, uh, you know, you can't, I don't think this is something that you can plan for, uh, but we're really happy that it worked out amazing. Yeah, it really did. And um, actually, yeah, the album is dedicated to clubs. <laughs> And how does album promotion actually now work during the restrictions um, when actually no club nights are allowed? Yeah, that's super weird. We, um, 
the whole plan, you know, we were sort of, we were sort of planning to, to put this out and, and, and do a whole bunch of DJ sets and, and sort of a new version of our club set with us DJing back to back and then performing our songs live mixed in with that. And we were really looking forward to it. Um, but it's definitely a, a change not being able to be out on the road at all. Um, I think we were saying, you know, once the lockdown had been, was six weeks long, I remember it's been much longer than that now, obviously, but at six weeks, I was like, we said to each other, man, this is the first time I haven't been on a plane in six weeks mm. in like seven or eight years. So it's, it's a big switch for us, but, you know, we're just doing a lot of this sort of stuff that we would do, like talking to people, folks like yourself is, um, is normal. And we're trying to, we started something called the Bobcast, which is sort of just a live stream that we've been doing. And we've been trying our best to interact online with our fans. And, and that's, you know, it's a, it's a brief spite, so to speak, but it's not definitely not the same, but all things considered, we're just trying to make the best of it and uh, make more music while we have the time off. And then so that when the world does open back up, we can come back out with lots of new material to play. So, and more know, time to make the family. best of it. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, what was that? And uh, more time for family. That's um, of course a big, exactly. yeah, exactly. So let's jump over to the video because you created something special and interactive video for the single desire. Um, tell us about this idea of this interactive video that people can watch on your website. Um, I mean, this video is really a byproduct of quarantine. Uh, our initial ideas was to film a live action video with real people. Um, and then obviously we couldn't do that. And we had hired a, a creative director named Owen Brown, who really came up with the, the idea of doing the interactive video. Our, our sort of contribution is more sort of the artistic style and what we would like, you know, themes and stuff like that. Like really inspired for this record of... Um, the Greek myth of Icarus who flew too mm -hmm. close to the sun, burned his wings and fell to his death. And so we thought that this was like an ancient story of desire showing that it had been, this story has been around for years. And this video was sort of like the modern take of that. Um, and so Owen really pushed for the interactive bits. You know, he suggested the, why don't we try using two colors showing two different sides of the story. And we basically would just have zoom calls like we're having right now for this interview and just kind of throw ideas at each other about like what would, uh, what could potentially work for the video. Um, and found a great a studio in Budapest called Airplan to animate it. And, you know, it was really sort of just a shot in the dark that, that ended up uh, working out great. We're super happy with how the video turned out. Yeah. And for all the people that didn't uh, see the video yet, it's actually an interactive video where you can either watch it from a perspective um, where you can choose either pleasure or pain. So now the big question to you is, would you click pleasure or pain? Um, I think, I think sort of an interesting concept of the video is that even if you, Sometimes if you click pleasure, it'll, it, it leads you to pain. Um, so I think I would probably click pleasure because you'd have a masochist of pain. And then uh, unfortunately for me, I just have to hope that clicking the pleasure button doesn't also just switch back to pain. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. So you can feel two sides. It's very good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, let's dive a bit deeper into the concept of desire. Um, what are actually, or how did, what did you figure out? What are your desires that during the crisis you may now feel more than ever? Oh, great question. Um, I think really what we were just talking about before, desire to play shows. You know, I think every musician, one of the th apart from writing music, playing shows is really what, what we live for, you know? So it's, uh, it's difficult to not have that anymore. And like Tom was saying earlier, you know, this is the longest that we've been without traveling, going places. You know, we, we love traveling. We love experiencing new cultures and things. So I think a real desire is to get back out there when it's safe so that we continue doing what we love. Well said. Mm -hmm. And is it more like what? What especially is it like? Um, like being like spreading this form of art that you want to like spread as form of your personality, or is it also like connecting with the people? Um, I think it's. I think it's a bit of both. Uh, mm. I think, you know, there's a real when when you're an artist. Sometimes, if you're just if you're just working alone in your studio. You know, it's hard to it's hard to not sort of get lost in your own little world and your mm -hmm. own, own own creativity. And I think one of the great things about the road is that it's really putting putting um, putting it your feet to the pavement and like you you really ha get to have an interaction with people and you get to see how your creativity is positively affecting people in the world. And that's like a that's the most rewarding part of it all. You know, I mean. It's it's wonderful to get messages saying you know you, this song really helped me get through this or that and that's that's a beautiful thing but it's also really rewarding to just share moments of excitement because like you know when you're when you're playing the music when you're performing the music that you've written it's like it's the best way to connect back to that initial creative impulse that you felt when you made it which is sort of what we live for and and when when you get to when you're playing the music and you're in this state of sort of flow if you call it that, and you also have other people connecting with that same feeling it's a really validating um feeling of 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 connecting to that creative that creative arc in a very unique way that you know isn't really you can't really produce that feeling any other way um and it's you know it's it's a toss-up to say what's better the initial the initial creative spark when you get something that you're really excited about and you're sort of trying to discover what it is and write it into a song is, is probably the best feeling in the world. And then maybe the second best is, is having people reliving that through performance and having connecting with people through that, you know, on the same sort of, on the same sort of vibe. So. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, desire can become quite destructive if you're not self-aware. Um, how did you, yes. I mean, you already mentioned the Bobcast. Um, are there other columns in life or routines that you established personally to, like, I don't know, balance this time right now where you cannot perform on events or festivals? Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're even today is a good example. We're going to be working on something. We're trying to find a way to, you know, perform the new record in a digital space. Um, you know, to at least share this with, the, you know, with people and also for ourselves to, it's, it's important for our creative process. Like when we try to dissect these tracks and play them live in some capacity that can also inspire creativity. So I think for us, it's like, 
continually trying to move forward in these new parameters instead of trying to, uh, you know, make like, you know, you have to adapt and that's essentially what we're trying to do. Um, and in the most creatively freeing way possible. So short answer, yes, we're going to try and figure out a new ways to connect with fans through the digital space while we can't tour and also, you know, keep ourselves on our toes and keep our creative uh, energy going. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, Technology, as we now um, experience with the Zoom um, interview, is helping us through that times. And we are living in technology-driven times. Music, social contacts, and even yeah, our homes get digitalized. Um, in your opinion, like, of course, there's not a single yes or no, but your general feeling about it, if you sum it up, is digital digitalization more a curse or a blessing or a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both. I think um, there are, it's like anything, you know, if, and it ties back to the concept of desire and sort of what we were going with a bit with this EP is like, or this mini album is discussing when when too much of a good thing becomes can be can sort of lead you to ruin you know and sort of become a negative thing and i think you know digitization is amazing in so many ways and um you know especially in this in this sort of scenario that we're in right now with with lockdown and stuff being able to connect to people that you wouldn't otherwise be able to is is a is a godsend but also you know if you if you get too wrapped into it or you spend all your time online and you don't have any real world, world interaction or connection, it can be sort of depressing and, a, and a make you sort of, uh, for me anyways, get like a bit negative. So I think everything in life balance is key, you know? Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, let's switch over to the topic travel, what we are not able to do right now, but um, at least we can travel with our minds. Um, you are both born and raised in Vancouver, Canada. It's a beautiful country and city, which as, at least as I, as I experienced it, super friendly people and a wonderful, beautiful nature. Um, if you would need to advertise your city, how would that sound like? Wow, that's a good question. We've actually been talking about Vancouver a lot recently. Um, I mean, it is, it is everything that you just said. It's uh, extremely gorgeous, great for biking, great for uh, outdoor activities. It's a, you know, it's a wonderful city with friendly people, but it also rains an incredible amount. I know that's probably not going to, you're not going to set on most tourist brochures, but, um, you know, I think there's... There's something I read something the other day. It's like 160 something days of rain a year. You know, there's like in the in the winter time, wow. it just it will rain. There was one time when we were it, it rained like, like almost three months. Like it's pretty crazy. Um, so you have to like rain, um, <laughs> but if you can put up with that, and the days that the sun does shine makes it worth every rainy day. You know what I mean? It's like such a beautiful city in the summertime and. You're one, one and a half hours away from Whistler, which is some of the best skiing in the world. The ocean's right there. There's an incredible restaurant scene. So it's got it's got a lot of positives, but you just got to pay the price of rain, I would say. Yeah. And which places are you visiting when you're back home? What are your favorites? Um, I love going. To, I love going to Whistler. Um, I love going to the Gulf Islands. So if you go um, off the coast of Vancouver, there's a ton of little islands 
over the place and you can either take a little float plane or you can um, you can take a boat and you can go through or the ferry um, and you can go through all through there. Um, I really like that. And then in terms of places, hmm. Maybe um, restaurants or parks. Yeah, rest, restaurant. I mean, I like going to uh, Stanley Park. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. um, you can, and w running along the seawall is really nice. Um, in terms of restaurants, um, I'm a bit out of touch with what is most current there at the moment, but I really love Vizha's restaurant. It's a great, it's like one of the best Indian restaurants ever. Um, and I, I can't really remember any other restaurants that are still, I, I, we, we haven't really been eating there too much. Jimmy, do you remember any restaurants that are like still around? Um, wow. Yeah. Cause we, it's a shame that we don't spend time there as we, um, you know, back to play gigs. I'm trying to think of, I mean, there's like the old faithful cactus club, which is a Vancouver staple of just like, it's like a, there's like 10 of them in the city. It's like a chain, but they, they just, I don't know. It's something that's a very specific vibe to Vancouver, but whenever I'm there, I always try and go and get a right. burger or something. Nice. And maybe like one festival and one club that you like there. Maybe also when you, when you were younger and went out for your first concerts. That's um, a good, yeah, go yeah, ahead. The, the best venue that's there is the Commodore, um, which is, we've played there a few times. It's sort of legendary. And I remember when I was like 15 or 16, walking downtown and like hearing the music. It's up on the second floor of, on, of, this, of a two-story sort of strip of buildings on Granville Street and hearing, you know, Kanye West or something. Um, <laughs> playing at the Commodore and being like, one day I'm going to play that venue. And, and then fast forward a bunch of years later, and we were, we've, we have played there a few times. That's sort of like my favorite Vancouver venue. Um, it's so nice actually when you travel back in time, then you only see what you achieved, right? So when you were there, you probably were thinking about that you stood there as a younger boy, imagining playing there at one day. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. And I don't know, Jimmy, do you have any, do you, we, we, when we went back to play clubs, we would always sort of just play like illegal clubs or like little basements or something when we first started. But, um, yeah, yeah I mean, one in terms of clubs. It's, I mean, there's like, there's Gorgamish has been there. It's like an after hours club has been there for a while. Yeah. A lot of clubs have like, it's weird. Vancouver has been sort of hard on its life. Like everything closes at two mm -hmm. and at the latest so like it's hard to cultivate a real oh there's also the uh, open studios which i think is like one of the best they're like there's like these a few sort of like offshoot things that are maybe doing something that's you know te technically legal i guess that they're like after hours but like growing up it was um i didn't really realize what full night clubbing was until i moved to new york and then went to berlin and stuff in vancouver it was like i was always I thought, oh, the night ends at 2 a.m., you know? But, like, and really the headliner would come on and maybe play one and a half hours, you mm -hmm. know? So it's, like, it's hard to cultivate a good club scene. Now one is coming up just because, like, I think, you know, you have, like, people like Jada G from there. You have, like, the Mood Hut records, like, all these. Um, there's, like, a good scene coming from there now. Um, but in terms of festivals as well, which you asked about, there's not really many. There's, like, one called Shambhala, but that's, like, outside of the city, Uh, there was one growing up when I was, there was like a rave in the woods called Apex when I was a kid. 
that uh, I don't even know if that exists anymore. But I would say, and Tom, correct me if I'm wrong here, like Vancouver's quite strict, I think, when it comes to like nightlife and festivals. Like they're a little bit scared to rock the boat and play music loud late at night and stuff. So, yeah, there's a great festival that I used to go to growing up called the Folk Festival, the Vancouver Folk mm-hmm. Music Festival. But that it's, it's really not dance music, you know, it's more folk music. And then um, they would have headliners like, Feist headlined one year and, and, you know, like Xavier Rudd and sort of pop folky sort of stuff, but never, um, never any sort of electronic music, but I've always fantasized. We've, we've sort of fantasized about having a, having a festival like, like the folk festival on the beach. Um, There's the folk festivals on, there's, there's this, um, I guess it's Spanish banks. The beach like is beautiful. The, the city's around a harbor, as I'm sure you know, and there's this sort of beautiful park that goes down. It's got trees and big sort of fields and right along the beach and 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 that's where they do the folk festival and they sort of put a bi- put a few big stages and it's sort of some of the stages are in the forest and you can kind of walk up to them some of the smaller ones and then the main one is right on the field right beside the water and you can that's where the headliner plays and you see the sun go down behind the mountains and it's like just pretty nuts. And it'd, wow, be, it'd be great to have a, beautiful. it'd be great to have a festival there that was a bit more current, you know? Um, yeah. But like Jimmy said, it's the, the government is quite hard on, on, on f- music and culture in so to speak in you know, and I guess because of liquor laws or whatever. So it's, it's harder to have a, a more aging festival. Um, there, but maybe one day. It could be something on the travel bucket list, of course, for the future. Let's see how things evolve. Um, also, we are not really able to um, predict the um, yeah rest of the year, but is there maybe one highlight you're really looking forward to um, in the rest of the year? One highlight. Upcoming, Ooh, upcoming event or thing that you're um, really looking forward to? I mean, to be honest, like we've just been taking it day by day and I really look forward to just tomorrow, which is just maybe we'll write, you know, we always think to ourselves that we still, we still haven't written that really great song that we're capable of. So maybe today or tomorrow will be that day. So I'm looking forward to that day, which maybe <laughs> will hopefully that Very nice. Very nice. Thank you both so much for your time, for the interview and the really interesting answers. Um, I would love to visit Vancouver now again, and it would be nice welcoming you in Berlin soon. And yeah, I hope you can enjoy the rest of the day in LA now. Thank you so much. And thanks for the great questions. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Speak soon. Take, Take care. care. Bye. <laughs> If you haven't listened to the new album Desire yet, I can really recommend it. It's driving beats that immediately create a flashback to club nights and it's six continuously mixed tracks. So it's a good record for listen to at home when you're missing club nights. I hope you enjoyed this podcast interview. Let me know your feedback about it on social media, Instagram or Facebook. Looking forward meeting you there. Thank you so much for listening. Rock and roll and stay tuned.